Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, amid the Kane ongoing transfer saga and following Messi's departure from FC Barcelona, we take a look at standoffs between players and clubs, the rise of player power, tactics for players looking to leave, and we'll discuss where the power truly lies today in football between players and clubs. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Good evening, Chez. How are you doing? Uh, pretty, pretty miserable, to be honest. Pretty miserable. How come? Uh, the season started and there's loads of new season cheer and everyone's partying, doing backflips, doing somersaults. And I'm, I'm that kid inside, uh, you know, looking outside and seeing everyone play and feeling depressed and sad. And why is that? Because uh, Arsenal got whacked up on Friday. Mm. Yeah, they up. did. Yeah, they you did. know what? I mean, you know. You know. In the year tens, take a football, and you're in your seven. That's what happened. <laughs> that's, that's what happened when Arsenal played. That's what happened. Flashbacks to your youth. Yeah. Just there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we watched it in the pub, and it's one of those that obviously they're a newly promoted team. They had the big occasion around it, and also there were London clubs, so the pub was pretty split. So it's a bit annoying when that happens because you're just hearing the rest of the pub in raptures as well. And for them, it was just like a massive deal. So they were just obviously milking that. And yeah, it wasn't a great showing from, from Arsenal, it must be said. Yeah, I wanted to do the RKO and a few of the men that were in there. But, you know, <laughs> uh, for context, the pub that we were at, I'm a small-time celebrity. And so oh, I, didn't wanna, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't want to do anything to ruin my, my credibility and my reputation. So I thought against that. Um, but <laughs> Dryden, how are you doing? Uh, not bad. Just watched the City uh, Spurs game, which was pretty good. Quite enjoyed it. Uh, Spurs looked really flat. Spurs looked really flat at the start, and I thought they're going to do what Arsenal did on on Friday. Quite similar, just really not really managed to string any sort of move together. Couldn't keep the ball, but then suddenly after like twenty minutes, you know, they just Spurs just start start aggressively pressing City, getting the ball back. City starts to falter a bit. Passes were going astray, and the game in the second half. I, Probably the start of the second half just flipped on its head. Um, then Son got the goal, and yeah, it was it was good to be fair. Like after the summer we had, like in terms of transfers, we'll go on to that. In terms of like Grealish going to Man City as well, and there's almost this feeling that like the elite of the Premier League could actually be getting a bit slimmer. Like in terms of you know City, United, and Chelsea spent so much. Um, you know, could we go be going back to like that old school top four? <laughs> you know, when we sat mm. like the top four for like years and years. Um, could be going back to that, um, but actually tonight, actually, you know, gave some hope that teams like Spurs, Arsenal, perhaps in the future, um, can you know Leicester as well can actually play with the big boys. So yeah, it was it was a good game. Yeah, I think we, let's just let's just wrap it up there because I don't want to talk about Spurs anymore. Well, we are going to do throughout this podcast. Actually, I'm going to talk about the Hurricane saga quite a lot because I mm. found that through the dark moments I've been suffering in the past 48 hours, that's been giving me a little bit of joy. Um, so yeah, we're talking about that quite a lot. So, kind of what I kind of wanted to talk about today is you know we've seen loads of transfers because the silly season, as everyone calls it, we've seen Lukaku's off, Hakimi's off. Mm. You know, into Milan. There's a couple circling around Martinez as well. Locatelli still hasn't gone to Juventus because they're trying to offer twelve pounds plus a Dark Coke. That's <laughs> what they're trying to give up for him. So he hasn't moved yet. Um, moving on to Spain, you got we've got Atletico who have gone about their business. They've been linked with like a plethora of strikers. The Valahovic guy at Fiorentina, they've been linked with. 
Uh, they've signed Rodrigo de Paul, which looks like a really good signing. And they were linked to another striker. I can't remember who it was. Obviously, in Germany, you have people like Silva moving and Leipzig and the, ma- mm. the managerial merry-go-round that's gone there. I think there's been loads of managerial changes. Obviously, Donny Mallon's now at Dortmund. Uh, Spain is just uh, L upon L, aside from Atletico, with Barcelona doing an absolute... Barcelona, like me, managing mm. my own finances. Like, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> like, it's actually mad. You're, yeah. pay- you're paid to just... what. How can and also as well like they're saying our oh, PK saved the club. That's just a bit mad. So the context is that apparently PK's wage cut has somehow allowed for what was it six players to be registered. Sounds 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 yeah sounds sounds a bit dodgy that one. I don't know how one man salary is somehow saving the club, but who knows? Mm. Um, you know we've got PSG that have created the All Star team. Um, <laughs> I just laugh because they've just got so many men like Donnarumma, obviously Ramos. Uh, Juan Aldum, uh, mm. not Killing Mbappe. Killing Mbappe is still there. Messi being the, the really, really big one. Hakimi, uh, even uh, Diallo, obviously, as well. Danilo, sorry. And uh, the, the kind of the main focus is, you know, with all these transfers that have gone on, where does the power lie, uh, you know, with the clubs or indeed with the players themselves? There's a, there's a number of clubs that have benefited from this COVID situation, others that haven't. Obviously, the likes of Barcelona, a lot of La Liga clubs, a lot of Serie A clubs. I've seen a lot of journalists on Twitter, um, particularly those covering Serie A, almost talking about how like the Premier League is becoming the Super League. And the reason they're saying that is because, obviously, Juve were a massive um, component of the... Or obviously, they were you know, Agnelli was part of the, the Super League proposals. Um, and then they came under a lot of fire when it all fell apart, uh, or just generally... Um, and a lot of journals saying that you know, Premier League is becoming the, the Super League in itself because all these clubs have got far more financial mm. um, clout and are bringing in players. And we've just seen over the last few months, you know, Greece being transacted, you know, within the league, which is less bad. But then you've got players from the continent, um, you know, Sancho going to United, you've got Lukaku going to um, Chelsea last season, we've Hevert and Werner come, come, to the, come to Chelsea as well. And so... It's this idea that I mean PSG is a little a little club of their own, a little league of their own in terms of finances, but it's this idea that Premier League is going to start to hoover up more and more players and actually is is it going to become too is, is the disparity going to become too large between the Premier League and the rest of the rest of the of the continent and their leagues? Um but COVID has kind of given some clubs that haven't done what Barcelona and Co have done and mismanaged mismanaged finances, um, the opportunity to take advantage of like a somewhat deflated like market. Uh, you know, still big fees getting banded about, but um, even someone like Jack Grealish, you would have thought might have been excess of, of that price uh, prior to COVID. Probably would never have actually been transacted because of that, but actually we're seeing those moves go go through because A, some of those clubs like in Serie A need the cash, like Inter, um, and B, because of the deflated price, it's actually happening rather than just being a silly silly amount of money, which arguably it still is. Um, and it's also like the financial fair play suspension, which doesn't I don't think it's talked about too much, which started in June, and was for 12 months, and so in theory is, is should be back on online, but there's there's been talk in the press about UEFA moving away from FFP, and I read on Sky Sports around moving towards like a luxury tax, I think it might be in, I don't want to say NBA, but I think one of the, the, the American sports use like a luxury tax, and also have like obviously salary caps, which are quite um, common throughout most um, American sports, NHL for example, so that's all going to be very interesting, but I think it's, this that's a that sort of context is really important to kind of note in terms of the market looking at player power because it depends on the club you're at. Um, Premier League clubs are somewhat unaffected, but if you're at, if you're Lukaku at Inter, you know, forcing a move is, is not difficult because they need that cash. 
Yeah, I think, um, sorry, to let everyone know as well, um, Dryden watched uh, the Last Dance documentary about Michael <laughs> Jordan. So he now knows everything about NBA. So if you want to hit him up for any tips or anything, he's your guy. Um, as well, when we're talking about, <laughs> when we're talking about um, FFP stuff and how everyone's saying that um, the Premier League's becoming Super League, which I think is, do you know which country I have no sympathy for? Uh Italy. You're going to say Italy because I agree if what you are going to say is what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Italy, Italy because they won the Euros and I don't, I actually don't care about the whole league because they won the Euros and there are too many memes. So now that well, <laughs> mine was actually, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Mine was going to be a more serious point around, and it's hard to compare times, but you remember the turn of the 2000s? Yeah. When. Italian clubs, like the seven sisters of Italian football, were spending so much money. Yeah, they were. And inflating what was the market then, which obviously compared to now is is, pe- is peanuts. But, you know, I, I know n- none of it is good for the game. And I kind of agree with this idea that the Premier League and any, any league or any club like PSG should spend loads and loads of money inflating a market, which is going to only hurt the little people. But don't come at, you know, all the Italian journalists, don't come at us or the Premier League for doing what we're doing now. You guys were doing it in the two thousands for years. Yeah, no, I, comp- I completely agree. But the main the main point really is they won the Euros, and I'm still upset. So, um, Very true. yeah, I don't I don't really have any sympathy there. So, kind of talking about like where the power kind of lies first. If you start off with clubs themselves, you know, you know what is mad? Like when you speak to a seven year old or eight year old, <laughs> and you're talking about ah, oh, we should never sell Kane because he's loyal at the club. Imagine like, I'm leaving my job my actual daytime job because believe it or not, mm. I'm not a full-time podcaster, even though yeah. you, you think I would be. Um, mm. it, it, imagine if a development employer was like, oh, you can't leave. <laughs> I just, I just, <laughs> imagine I walk up one day, he's like, you know what? I've been here for like four years. I've worked really hard for the company. I'd like to leave. It's like, no, your contract's got three more years. You're staying. I'll be, I'll be flipping, ta- I'll be flipping tables. <laughs> Obviously I get, I get it. You know, it's the whole narrative of that's how football is. I understand that, but it is quite crazy how, you know, people can be depressed. Mental health is a big thing. People always say, oh, how can you be depressed if you're earning 200 grand a week? Very easily. <laughs> because yeah, money, yeah. money, money, money doesn't really drive happiness like that. So I think yeah. it is quite crazy for a lot of these players to begin with. And it's, it's something we accept, but probably something which should be looked at, which is just how that, in a way, that's kind of flawed within itself. So, you know, with, with some of the players that we're talking about, Kane in particular, um, footballers have to adapt to, obviously, but when you're at a club who has a very notorious owner or manager, um, it can be very hard for you to leave. You know, Daniel Levy's a feared negotiator. Kane's <laughs> finding out about that now. Uh, Modric had a deadline day bid by Chelsea, which was rejected of like 45 million because he didn't want to send them to a rival. Ended mm. up going a year later. Very surprised Walker was signed by another team in the league because he's normally quite against that. And we all know Gareth Bell broke um, the world's, the world record fee. You know, you've got Michel Olas, at Leon as well has been known to be difficult. You've obviously mm. got 50 million for Lacazette, which was a waste of everyone's time. Um, <laughs> Fekir uh, with Liverpool to cages to be completed. Undombele was huge money and Noir as well. So it can be so difficult, you know, to, to actually prize yourself away and you can feel quite trapped. And the club's, come off very powerful you know you've got this big contract of five years they're like no unless if the money's x but the money's always above your value because why would you ever sell the player at their value you obviously want to profit mm. right someone's worth yeah. 10 million why the, why, why the hell are you going to sell him for 10 million when you don't want to lose him it's going to be 20 30 40 or even 50 
Um, you know, when you think of the issues around players like Kane and Zaha, you know, you, you kind of really see that clubs are, you know, the be all and end all in terms of the power game. But I think what we're beginning to see uh, in the more modern era is how footballers and agents are now having greater say and they're using a different array of tactics to to bring the power scope back mm. towards them. So, yeah. for example, I'm going to keep referencing Kane because um, obviously that brings a lot of joy in my miserable life. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he's obviously struggling because he's got three years left in his deal, right? But, you know, and he's opted not to train, which is which is another tactic which you can adopt. Uh, Payet did it at West Ham, Fabregas did it at Arsenal, Usman Dembele as well. Um, you know, I would like to point out Kane didn't actually say, didn't refuse to train. He gave some wishy-washy statement about how he couldn't go into the details of why he didn't show, even though everyone was expecting him to show. Um, He's obviously not played today. Um, But the the, the problem with not turning up to training is that obviously it can burn bridges with your teammates, it can affect your relationship with staff. You know, what if the move falls through? It's a bit different for Kane, but there have been examples of other ballers where, you know, if the mood if, if the move falls through and you don't really have as good of a season, then what happens? The rumours that happened with Uwa, his move fell through with Arsenal last summer and didn't really was seen as having having some off field issues and Arsenal have now gone cold in their interest. So you mm-hmm. think about that and you know, your relationship with the fans, you don't want to be booed when you're playing at home. So it's an incredible stance to take and one which is very difficult to justify. But the thing about these players is when they're trying to claw that power back in these negotiation tables, they're forced to make desperate moves in order to get the transfers that they want. Hundred mm, percent. I think well, I mean, the best the best tactic possibly to to take is the is Carlos Tevez ta- tactic of just get on a plane and go and play golf for like six months. <laughs> That'll work. In fact, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, did he was that United when he had that stance? They went to UV. It was it at UV. I can't recall, but like, I mean, his career did kind of decline almost suddenly, but he did have a great career as well. Zaha, I think, is the. I thought Jack Grealish would become the next Zaha in terms of. And I think it might have happened if it wasn't for COVID because he, I just thought Grealish would be priced out of a move. Um, I think the difference there is perhaps, you know, Grealish was dealing with Man City who have an almost bottomless pit of cash. Mm. Whereas Zaha was dealing, I mean, he went to United and went back, obviously. But when there was the whole saga about him going to Arsenal and there was big sums involved at the time, to be fair, which um, <laughs> even even then was, was a lot of money. Uh, you know, Zaha is still at Palace. Arguably, he would have won, perhaps wanted to go to Arsenal at that time, maybe a couple of seasons ago. Didn't get that move. And I mean, that's still his career to think about. It's his, but it's his life, and he's been blocked for the because of the interest of football clubs. So that is a, you know, no one's going to feel sorry for footballers, are they, and getting paid two hundred k a week? No one should be expected to do so. But as you say, there's more, more to mental health and stuff like that, and you know, there's more to people's lives than money. Um, but seemingly Zaha has fallen, fallen victim of um his club's interests. Uh. Not sure up to training. Uh, it's interesting, as you said. Obviously, a player can be fined wages for not training. I think it depends on the contract or like the regulation within the, the league itself. And ultimately, if he just stops turning up at all <laughs> and just doesn't play, I assume he just didn't get paid, which is fair enough. Um, but it's delicate for the club where they, they want the player to stay, isn't it? So, you know, are you going to heavily find Kane? If, say, if Kane decides to continue doing so, I know he's been back at the club since... Um, but if you want him to stay, you're going to continue to find him. It's very delicate. But then you've got to keep consistent standards in the club. <laughs> if if some absolute trans- next transfer listed player doesn't want to um, come to training, you can't just then show show absolutely <laughs> yeah. come, down heavy, come down with a heavy hand. Just if, even um, after you've let Kane or someone like that get away with it. Um, but yeah, and your point around the employee kind of things is interesting as well. Like a start, like if 
um, you know, an, an employee can freely move, but a footballer cannot, uh, you know, just freely leave his his occupation and move elsewhere. Because it is interesting, though, like players are assets, sportsmen are assets, and they have these contracts that have like you know time limits on them. And unlike you know regular employees, you know, like you, I'm not a full time podcaster, but and you know my contract where I work doesn't have an end date. Mm. So it's, it is really interesting. Um, it, it begs like a, I won't go into it now, but it begs it's like this separate idea of like, should should any person or player or sportsman or anyone in any walk of any industry, should they be de- deemed an asset? Because that's where you get into these situations. No, I, can, I, can, I completely agree with you. It's um, Yeah, you, you went into quite a serious point there. I was, I was about to mention something uh, quite funny. Do you remember when Ross McCormack said he couldn't go to training because his gates didn't work? His first gates. Yeah, his gates didn't, didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we're talking about transfer sagas. I, I feel like he wanted to move somewhere, so he didn't turn his training. But his excuse was that his electronic gates were broken, so he couldn't leave his house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was honestly one of the funniest things I think I've ever read. So he was <laughs> he was obviously reprimanded uh, for that one. That, that yeah, that's that's always tickled me. But yeah, you are right in terms of sportsmen's being assets like is that really it's very easy to to critique someone on their life when you can't relate or live it and i i, mm. I do sympathize with footballers because there there's just a notion i think generally with life that if you earn a lot of money you should just be happy i argue with my friends about it all the time uh, i think it was michael Keane came out and saw my depression in football and why i got depressed my friend was like oh he just needs to be better at football like why would he be so bothered and it's like if anything, if anything, these guys are even more, you know, sensitive and hyper can get quite sad because of the profession that they do and a transfer can massively affect that. You know, if I if I if move falls through for me now and I'm Harry Kane and I type in my name, it's not nice to then read thirty thousand people then saying, Oh, he had yeah. a sh- he had a shit game because he didn't get his move to City when I've just had a bad game. Uh, we've mm. seen the backlash of Ben White. He's just moved to Arsenal, <laughs> and everyone under the sun has been calling him a waste of time. So it, it's it's a difficult one. But kind yeah, of coming coming back onto the point of what players can do, I always think that the no training angle is a bit tetchy in terms of whether that's the right option. But the less publicised method, which more and more ballers seem to be doing, is running a deal down. I think Wenger famously said that he reckons more footballers will do Bosmans. Arsenal have um, been hitting the trend because they seem to let everyone's contract run down. So <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just helping it move along for everyone else. Um, but, you know, we've seen arguably the most valuable player in the world, I think, has wound his deal down in Mbappe. He's now got one year left. You've got Pogba and one year left, who are mm. seemingly going to walk for free. Um You've got Aguero, Gigi, uh, Donnarumma, Messi, Ramos, all in free on big contracts. Hundreds of pros. I, I can't name all of them that have basically re-signed with months left. I know Bakayi Saka did it at Arsenal. Bemiang did it at Arsenal. Um, I, there have been players that are within a year and they sign another two-year contract because the power is all on them, really, because, mm. you know, they can start talking to other clubs or more so it's more of a case of, you know, if you don't pay me X or if you don't pay me Y, if you don't let me leave to here, then I won't resign. So this asset, we're talking about assets and how valuable they are. You see uh, the money trickle away because that asset that you've fought so well to keep and train and look after is going to walk. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, one thing to say is that with these power moves, it is for the very few in the elite game. I'd probably say the top echelons of Premier League, I wouldn't even say all Premier League ballers because, you know, you're not going to get players like Port Vale doing the same thing because job security becomes massive. 
when you go further down the pyramid. Often mm. the deals are shorter and the money yeah. isn't the same. I would even say for a lot of Premier League clubs, really, I think when we're talking about this winding down of contracts, we really are talking about the the top, top stars, really. Like if I go and have an exceptional season, if I'm Dwight McNeil and I have an exceptional season at Burnley, I'd, I'd still consider signing a new deal because you don't know at all about what could happen in three, four years' time. Like, yeah, you could say, oh, I could go on to have this big break and a big move, but it's, it's not always um, the case. I think, you know, it, it's... I think this this type of method will, will come through more and more and more because obviously the elite are getting richer. You mentioned earlier about City, Chelsea and, and, and Man United. And, you know, these clubs are going to protect their assets at all costs because they know that there are clubs out there that are willing to spend the cash. And even the clubs that don't have the money are still trying to do, or still trying to spend the money to try and break the upper echelons. But, you know, Mm. with these contracts and and with running it down, what, what tends to happen is it's all tense really, isn't it? I mean, some players don't say anything, but, you know, it's like you said with, with moving jobs, right? You've been told now this random club out of nowhere you know, like the Conga for Arsenal, Arsenal interesting, you are fantastic, then he doesn't move. You know, you'd be heartbroken as a player. Then, you know, these negotiations can be so tense and, you know, it can cause rifts everywhere. So I, I definitely see in the future more and more players uh, will opt for this method of running their deals down to get that player back onto them. But on the flip side, we're, we're talking about that mental health thing and how it's important for players. But what the clubs can just say, well, it's, you know, we've looked after the player, you know, it's unfair on us, even though it's harder to defend in clubs because they're such rich, they're such rich institutions themselves. But it's still for them, you know, it's like, well, why should we hold this player, look after him? In some cases, develop him. You know, we've done loads of pods in P and, and stuff like that, and then just lose him for nothing. You know, it, it's mm. quite, it's quite difficult. Yeah. But what is apparent is as that contract runs down, uh, the power shifts to the players. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that point around McNeil is, I think, very pertinent um, around... It's quite easy to look at a player, and it depends how good that player is, as you mentioned. Um, but it's quite easy to look at a player. Like, say, McNeil's a good example because he's he's young. He's been playing in the 21s for England. He is, uh, you know, one for the future. It's quite easy for someone to say, oh, yeah, he's going to he's gonna be a, a real good player in four years. What happens if he flops? Like, and that, mm. player's, so that player gets offered a contract that's higher than what he is at, what he has now at Burnley. And say say it's double his wage. I don't know what he's on now. Um, and it's say it's a four or five year contract. And he just says, "Oh no, I want this. I w- I'm going to I'm going to say no. I want a one year or two year because I want to protect my own, own interests." What happens if he then flops? What happens as well if he gets a like an ACL injury, mm. a career ending injury, and he's just then has no contract length there? That mm. it's, it's, a, it's a serious factor. I mean, when Josh Major left Sunderland to go to Bordeaux, loads of fans were saying because he had like six months left in his deal, and the club decided to cash in at like one point two million. Loads of fans saying, "Why doesn't he stay with us? Because then he can build with the club. He can become a start Sunderland. He can gain gain experience in the league, one the championship, whatever." As, as far as we go up, but that's just such hindsight. Like particularly at that level, like he might never get that contract again. He might you know, never get that offer again. Bordeaux, a Europa League, a Europa League uh, club, at the word at the time. So it's very like hindsight, or quite easy to say, you know, that the player is going to do X, Y, Z. You don't know that. Yeah, completely. I think it's one of those where you can never predict someone's career. I think the the method of running down your deal and not re-signing is really only reserved for the true elite, you know, like mm-hmm. your Mbappes, your Messis, young stars of today, people like Pedri and Ansu Fati. They may not actually end up being any good by the time they're 30. Uh, it's unlikely because they're exceptional players, exceptional talents, but 
there are hundreds and hundreds of players like we could list Alexander Patter being one of mm. players that were coming onto the scene 17, 18, 19. You're thinking, wow, they're going to do, do it all. And then loads of them don't. Some do, some don't. Some turn up at 26 and have brilliant careers. Others kind of fade away. So it's really hard to just, as you said, predict, oh yeah, Josh Mayer should stay and do all of these things because you're right, he may never get that deal again. And that kind of ties into where does the power actually lie between clubs and players? And it, it, it's such a messy divorce because obviously with employers, they want to keep you, they can offer you more money, whatever, but you can decide whether you want to stay or go and it, and, and it's done in what, a month or three months notice, as mm. I uh, rudely found out not long ago for me when I tried to leave. <laughs> um, but it, it, for footballers, it can be ages, you know, you don't know every single day. Some of these things are protracted all summer. Sometimes it's even longer. Clubs, that they yeah. say they're going to bid for you, then they're not going to bid for you, then they do bid for you. And the club are like, no, he's worth double that. Then the players like your price me out of moves. It's also messy. Um, and to, to, to determine where the power actually lies is actually very difficult because... I feel that a lot of clubs, it depends on how you look at it. I think the selling club will always sell an unhappy player eventually, but on their terms. So where does the power actually lie? Yeah, Because I think if you think about a lot of big transfers, a lot of them, really and truly, unless if the guy's got one year left, which is rare with the types of players that the big clubs buy, the big club mm. still wins because they get the eventually nine times out of 10 get the money they want. Because as you mentioned before, there's so much money in football that they just pay it. Like Grealish, oh, had a re- so Villa fans are like, oh yeah, Grealish had a release clause of a hundred million. Uh, and they knew that the city knew that's the only bid that would be accepted. It's probably not, but city know mm. that oh, can we be asked with this? We can actually pay the money. So let's just pay it. We've seen Arsenal. They apparently they bid seven times to Ben White. Brian said 50 million at the first bid. Arsenal tried all sorts of nonsense and eventually just paid 50 anyway. So it's, like, <laughs> it's, like, so it, 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 it's, it's just such an interesting saga. I think when the players are involved, I think there's a human element which we don't always analyse. But to answer the question as to where this power should lie is, is really tricky because it, it is kind of with the players and the contracts go down. But then at the same time, we, we're seeing players, even with one year left, how much did Hazard, did Hazard not go for a hundred million? Like, yeah. it's like, yeah. so yeah, you know, Hazard does win. Technically he will say he wins because he had one year left in his deal. But then Chelsea have also picked up a hundred million pounds for a player that had one year left. So does, did the player have truly have the power or is it more the club of soul, but it's still on their terms? I think we shouldn't like criticise clubs too heavily as well because they're still making that um they're making that investment to bring that player there. So without that money in the first place, certain players might not be at that club to begin with. So that particular owner or investors, in, in, you know, um, investing in a player to come to a particular club, say if it's from overseas or wherever. Um, the fact that those clubs, the point is the fact that those clubs have money and they spend it and they do their business the way they do, does allow for the mobility of some players to get there in the first place, which then does heighten their career. Hmm. And there's a lot of players that would actually be, you know, respectful of that. A lot of clubs are, uh, sorry, a lot of players would be a lot of players love the clubs they're at and are thankful for the opportunity that, that they're given whether they're an academy player who's come through and given that given the opportunity or if they've been sold for 100 million or I, I bet like he was over the moon to go back to Chelsea for example mm. where he can pick up where he was when, when he was a lot, a lot younger um I think it's like a final point for me I think football changes like so rapidly as well so you know society has this idea that footballers get paid so much because they're greedy which I just think is a bit mad like you know Football as an industry is 
in terms of consumerism is massive. Like the amount of people that watch football and will pay a lot of money to do so, and that's arguably a separate point that they shouldn't have to, but pay a lot of money to do so makes the industry very wealthy and puts it on, on par with, for example, I don't know, the music industry and, and on par with like, say, the movie industry where no one grimes, gripes at the fact that, you know, an actor gets paid or gets sort of grosses X, you know, 25, 30 million a year in terms of their, their income, but has a problem with Messi and co doing the same, even though, you know, arguably more people are watching <laughs> Messi play football than are watching a film. I don't know the numbers on that, I might be wrong, but mm. I just think uh, that's about unfair to an extent. Um, but footballers have to have to think selfishly as to the players. And I think that's my, my overriding kind of answer to this question of where did the power lie? I think the power largely still lies with the football clubs. Like in the Kane example, I think it depends on the personality of the player. Like someone like Kane, I think, will be the victim of his own... I don't know. It's, I don't want to say this because it's almost perception, but the victim of his own kind of dedication and, and his kind of persona. I think because there's this idea or expectation with Kane that he will he will dedicate himself to the club he's at. He's a professional and he wants to break records. I think for Levy he would see that as well. I I can keep I could possibly keep Kane even if he even if he protests to the highest level, and then he will come back and play for me and he'll play well and he'll be dedicated. And so that it, ultimately I think that will lead to to Harry Kane. Um, staying there and Tottenham keeping the player. It's also his age as well. Age is a factor that you've touched on. Um, if Kane was 24, 25, this would be a different conversation. In fact, he's 29 next season. This could be, you know, Man City might not want to play, might not want to pay. Um, this is literally, literally me stealing David Ornstein's point. <laughs> mm. But um, Man City or any suitor might not want to pay 100, 150 million for a, a 29-year-old Kane next season when they can sign a player like Ellen Holland come on the market. Um and it's not as easy as that, obviously. You know, I've seen loads of people on Twitter say, why don't they sign Holland instead? It's not that easy. <laughs> but um, but it's it kind of is a point around uh, the age factor. And at the end of the day, each, each side is self-serving. You know, Spurs are self-serving. They would just, if Kane suddenly became terrible, they'd discard him. And discard him as quickly as possible to the nearest bidder. They wouldn't. They probably wouldn't care about Kane, his mental health and whatnot. Um, and the same with Kane. You know, Kane wants to get, he wants to break records. He wants to have the best career he can have as possible. He wants to earn the most money he can possible. You know, if I take an example, if I, you know, say some guy who works for an accountancy or a woman working for an accountancy, if that, if the owner of that business says to him, oh, just, I know we're not in the same industry, but we just think, we just thought we'd match your contract with Messi's contract because you're such a good employee. They're not going to say no, are they? <laughs> this idea that, that footballers are greedy, I just think it's nonsense. But Kane still has his own interest at heart. And I think, you know, I don't feel sorry for either parties, really. A bit more for the players, but the power is still with the clubs. Yeah, I think that's kind of a good good way to end the pod. I don't normally do the outro message, but for all of you that are listening in, if you could just take a moment, <laughs> if you could just take a moment in your spare time, maybe in the evening before you go to bed, and just pray for Arsenal, because it's not looking good for me. It's not looking good for all my Arsenal friends out there. I'm getting teased online. I'm getting teased on my phone. I'm getting teased at work. I'm getting teased at home. So just quick prayer, mm. five-second prayer. If you don't pray, whatever you want to do, maybe like a good luck or anything, that would be great because we've got City and Chelsea next and I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do and I don't know where to turn. So thank you. Yeah, it's going to be a fair few Ben White um, transfer outs on fantasy football this uh, this weekend. That's what I've got to say. But um, yeah, hopefully it comes through. But yeah, thanks <laughs> on that note. Um, yeah, on that note, thank you all for listening. Thanks, Ed. Cheers. And um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.